0: (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to The Skip Button, a podcast all about the music you love to hate. I'm your host, Ben Barcelay. For the second episode, I wanted to talk about one of the most controversial bands in recent history, U2. U2 is one of the best-selling rock acts of all time. They have critical acclaim, sold-out arena tours, and 22 Grammys. And yet, both in Ireland and abroad, people seem to have a really violent disdain for them. Uh, To be honest, I am someone who's never been huge into YouTube, but I've also never quite understood where all the animosity comes from, so I thought I would use this episode to try to get to the bottom of it, and helping me make heads or tails of the situation is my friend, Alex Skanga. Hi, Skanga.
1: How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, looking forward to
0: it. I asked you specifically uh, to be in this episode because I understand you to be a big YouTube fan. To what extent is that accurate?
1: Yeah, so I would say that U2 was my first favorite band. Um, Obviously, the way we consume music has changed over time Uh Um, with streaming services. I think they've opened up a lot new avenues to listen to new music, but as a kid, my music consumption was really through the albums my parents played. Right. So my exposure to them was really just through their greatest hits albums.
0: Uh-huh. What is your does your
1: mom like YouTube? Um, so, no, she doesn't dislike YouTube, but she was YouTube was never a thing. Her brother, my uncle, is obsessed with YouTube. Okay. Like he was like in the original fan clubs. He's gone to every tour multiple times. Right. Um, wow. And like, <laughs> and for instance, when "How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb" came out. I remember visiting my family, and he lives in Cleveland, and I remember when that came out, he, and I'm just, I'm looking what the release, so the release date was November 2004, so I was visiting for the holidays, and he played that album on loop for the entirety (laughs) of the trip, and I was in his car like three or four times, and I like, I was indoctrinated, into right. that album. And that's, like, my favorite U2 album now. Uh-huh. Um, and I trace it back to that, those car rides. You were, like, 10? Yeah. Yeah, 2004, so I was 10 years old. Yeah. Um,
0: like, when you have, when you're that young and you have that much of a moment with music, even if you, even if, as you grow up, that music is no longer, like, in the confines of your taste, you can't unlove that song. Exactly.
1: Like, it, it's just, it's there
0: with me forever. Right. Do you, it, do you, ever feel like you have like a cross to bear being a youtube fan <laughs> or do you, do people like roll their eyes at you if you bring that up
1: no i mean so th- there is a funny story where when i was in like i was in middle school and it was it was actually with some of the people who were on your first episode, the first episode of your Name podcast aj <laughs> i remember with aj no i remember with aj and i think it was like I remember. I remember AJ specifically giving me shit about this. Other people did too, but like I don't want to pull them in if they weren't part of this. But there's <laughs> there's this song, on the greatest hits, nineteen ninety to two thousand, called, the hands that built America, uh-huh. and it's basically it was recorded for Gangs of New York, the the Martin Scorsese movie. Okay. Um,
0: I genuinely thought you meant like for gangs in New York. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, that, that too, yes. That could be on brand for Bono. I, I yeah. <laughs>
0: this one goes out to all the gangs in New York.
1: Yes, I, like, all the guys in the Bronx just, like, slinging meth. Like, yeah, U2, the U2 anthem just <laughs> beating in their cars. Um, during the song, he's, like, he's talking, like, in, like, kind of vagaries about how, like, a country is formed. Right. And then in the background, as he's singing, they, like, just list out, like, all the groups that formed America. Like, all, like Russians, Greeks, Jews, Italians. But, like, in like in the back, like, it's being whispered in the back <laughs> as the songs are singing. So it's so corny. It's <laughs> so corny. But I loved it. I remember saying to my friends, like, guys, you gotta listen to Hands That Built America. And they're like, Skanga, this, like, objectively terrible song. I'm like, no, you guys got to give it a chance. It's great. Like, it's sick. And like, for years, it's just been like, it's been brought up like, oh yeah, gotta listen to Hands That Built America. I'm just like, okay, I'll take the L on that one. But like, to me, I like, it's a good song and I like it. AJ,
0: one time I, I think in seventh grade, I mentioned to AJ that I saw the show Leverage, like an episode (laughs) of the show Leverage. And I think it took about five years for him to get over it like he kept he That's absurd. Refused to stop bringing up that one time I saw an episode <laughs> of Leverage. Anyway, all that's to say, it's very on brand that AJ did that to you.
1: Um, yeah, what a jerk.
0: That was like a great U2 love fest, but the fact is there are a lot of people that fucking hate U2. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I so I was doing research on like there's a bunch of articles about why people um why people hate this band and a lot of them were written by journalists and critics um but my fucking favorite article uh was written by a guy named court funk and it's this i mean you can look at it it's the most bootleg website in the entire world
1: that's like an original blog
0: oh yeah this was like in the late
1: 90s and this so this was like it's got no formatting it's just a white background of <laughs> times new roman fun. and the headline in bold is newsflash you too sucks <laughs> And so I found this, I found this page, there were so many
0: amazingly written coherent think pieces about why U2 sucks, but none of them were as useful to me as this blog, so I wanna I'm excited to hear it, lay it on Newsflash, U2 sucks. Okay posers, listen up. U2 is the worst thing to happen to rock music since disco. They are the most overrated group since the Beatles. Here are some of the many reasons why. So he's he's coming in so strong. His first point is they are derivative. This so-called quote constantly evolving band hasn't played an original note in years. Joshua Tree? In this economy? He doesn't say that. <laughs> Joshua Tree, pretentious musicians playing bloated music with overbearing messages and religious metaphors. Can you say Pink Floyd? Achtung Baby and Zuropa? Lots of computers and industrial noise? Sounds like nine-inch nails to me, who were doing it long before you two even tried. Rattle and Hum? (laughs) Just gets more and more angry. A blues album by a bunch of whiny Irish guys? I don't think so. You'd have to resurrect Robert Johnson in order to get me to even consider listening to The Edge try his feeble hands at the blues. While all these albums may be the first time any YouTube fans have heard this type of music, it was certainly being produced long before Bono pulled his head out of his ass to discover it. So that's point one. That's the first yeah. bullet
1: point. Well, I mean, listen, he didn't hold back.
0: <laughs> I just love how all of his critiques were phrased as questions. Joshua Tree? Are you shitting me? How dare you? <laughs> the, second, the second bullet point is, they're pretentious. If you want to give me a message, just say it. Otherwise, let's let music be music and not some crappy political statement of the month. If I want politics, I'll pick up a newspaper. When I want music, I buy an album. Music first, message second, guys. Think about it. And I do like how he said think about it at the end as if he just like dropped the mic. Um, my These next two points are the funniest fucking thing to me. So around the time that Court Funk wrote this, they released the album Pop, which was like a van. People not did, well received. did not like that album, and it was sort of there. Like we're gonna start doing electronic music. We're gonna start experimenting with like the sounds of the future, um, and they. Had, I mean, they said,
1: and then they they put it in the title, like that. They were they were trying to catch up to the times. Right. With that song. Exactly. With that album,
0: and one of the songs on there was disco I think that was like the lead single, and in the music video, they they dress up like the village people, and they sort of left it up to the fans to decide if they were making fun of village people or embracing their music. Um, And I'm saying, I'm giving you all this context because Courtfuck doesn't when he says, the village people weren't cool in the 70s. They weren't even cool when they started to make a comeback a couple years ago. And they certainly aren't cool now. And then the next bullet point is, and because I can't tell whether they're serious or not, Jokes about the village people were not funny in the 70s. Jokes about the village people were not funny a couple years ago. And they certainly aren't funny now. And so what I like about this is Court Funk is brave enough to admit, I don't know what the point of this song is, but I vehemently disagree with it. The next point is they just plain suck. So it just seems like that... You could have just written that instead of this manifesto. Yeah, I it's mean, just like, like, I like, just getting
1: to one thing. of the points, like, Bono can't sing. Like, yeah, I... That's fair. Like, <laughs> do, do you like know, that? I, I, like... I like his voice in the context of the music, but that's not a strength of the band. Right. Um, and, and I think that's been acknowledged to a certain degree.
0: But Bono, to me, I, I'm kind of, like, intrigued by Bono as a singer because there are songs of his where he, he has this, like, soaring voice. He's, ha- like, very sonorous. Like, it's ve- he, can, he can really hit notes in, like, a very beautiful, almost, like, violin-like way. And then other songs where he's, like, singing, like, Bob Dylan... Yeah, Yeah, where in a part of me is like impressed that he has that kind of range where he can sort of sing a melody very truly and it can be very um, like melodious and and poignant and then other times that he's kind of just like all over the map, and I it is impressive how he can kind of like choose when to be one and when to be the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there is even though there are people who probably hate the fact that he is constantly warbling or going back and forth between how he wants to sing I think there is like a skill set to be that versatile and to like use different parts of your range in order to get whatever point you want to get across
1: yeah and I think the band has tried to be many things across many different albums right. and his singing style is one of the main reflections of that
0: yeah but I kind of want to just go back bullet by bullet point and talk about each point so the first point is that they're derivative and the argument for them being derivative is that they do have so many different phases in their career, from being sort of straight-ahead rock, to blues, to pop when they released their, like, techno album. Um, so this was something that came up a lot in my research, was the idea that they weren't trying to be the best band, they were trying to be everybody's favorite band, and their way of doing that was by just making as as many different kinds of music as possible, and I think the question at hand is: To what extent is that trend chasing, and to what extent is that just someone being incredibly inspired by all these different things and wanting to experiment with it? And how do you, how do you parse which is which?
1: Um, YouTube's been pretty transparent about yeah. what they were trying to do. Um, in some ways, you the only per, the only people in the world who are gonna know what their end goal was either capitalizing on potential commercial value of chasing a trend or being inspired. Ultimately, only the band knows that. Um, Right. Which is not to shut down the the discussion, but it's it's, it's all hypothetical in a way. YouTube, when they came out with Rattle and Hun, was very transparent that they wanted to do a blues, rock and roll type American, American South, American West album. And that's what they went for. Right. Um, Some of it was good. Some of it didn't work, right? And if you look at, and if you look at the critics' response to it, it was very split down the middle. Half were like, "This is awesome," yeah. and the other hand, half were like, "This sucks." Um, and I think that part comes down to just individual taste at that yeah. point. Rattle and Hum and Pop are two that stand out to me as like really kind of trend chasing. But like, I'm willing to forgive a band for doing that. But yeah. again, that's coming as a fan's perspective. Yeah, like I understand, like if you want to key in on for instance, those two albums as, like, a reason why they suck. Like, I, I respect that. Yeah. But, I mean, like, something like Joshua Tree, like, I, I disagree with the sentiment that that's derivative.
0: Yeah, I um, agree with that.
1: I think it's impossible in some ways for music not to be derivative. Um, okay. Just because as, as we move forward as a society, there's just so much... Music out there, right. and like surrounding us, that I think subconsciously you're influenced by a lot of things. Now right. there is kind of like the blatant, and I mean, you guys already brought up uh, Greta Van Fleet on the last yeah. podcast, but I mean, that's like a classic example. Right. I mean, you can be very blatant about it. Right. Um,
0: Here's the thing. I agree with you that um, all music is going to be derivative because there's only so many musical ideas that you can take with a lot of artists even if, even if they have all these blatant influences you can kind of let that float to the back of your mind as you're listening to their music but then if the next album is derivative of something else it automatically sort of restarts that thought process of like hmm I feel like there are other artists who have done this already uh, which isn't to say that U2 is especially derivative. What I'm saying is I think the reason that people find them especially derivative is that they've been derivative of so many things over the course of their career. Mm-hmm. And then there were two, two other points that I think were why U2 got so much flack for it. One is that, especially with pop, what they were being derivative of was electronica and discotheque, which were two trends that rock fans Fucking hated. Mm-hmm. They were they were like, this is the end of music. This is the end of art. And you two, who had been a pretty traditional rock band up until that point, were embracing it. And I think that there were people who were like, "Fuck you! Like, what are you doing?"
1: But I mean, like, Coldplay does the same thing as you two right. in terms of like. But cold people, also hate, play. people also hate Coldplay. People also hate Coldplay. Yeah, no, and like exactly, like they, the same exact thing. Yeah
0: and i think it's a to be really good at a certain sound and to be able to find influences from everywhere i think are two very distinct skill sets and i think people just discredit the latter skill set i think in part because people get really uncomfortable when they can't put their finger on like what a band's sound is yeah. like going into this episode if you had asked me what is what kind of music does U2 make? I don't know if I would have been able to answer that question. And I think that there are some people that are really bothered by that, that they can't, that they can't categorize them. Uh, and so I, I, I think people just because they get frustrated by that and they don't have a word for the kind of music that U2 makes or has made, they kind of just, their instincts be like, Oh, so they're, they're like soulless. They don't have, yeah. they don't have any um, roots uh which I which I think is ultimately unfair S- some of the results of them pulling from different genres have been pretty unsuccessful and like kind of flukes but I don't I think it's wrong to discourage people from going out and trying new things but the other point that I wanted to make and not to jump the gun on the whole Irish conversation no, but I like this one. I I um, I, we should stop by saying I am 100% Ashkenazi Jew. <laughs> so okay. I have no stake in the Irish conversation. I did study abroad there yep. for six months. You're not Irish at all. Not right? Irish at all. Do people, people think I am? I was going to ask you. Yeah,
1: I've, yeah, all the time. People have told me that I am Italian and Hungarian, but I am... You're pale. Hungarian? Yes. I'm male and redheaded. And yeah. When, when people ask me what I am, I'll tell them no. I'm actually Italian Hungarian. They're like no. You're probably wrong. You should get that check. you're probably Irish somewhere. You should get that check. So yeah. So and I, you're
0: like Catholic and you went to Notre Dame. Yes, I'm
1: Catholic. I went to Notre Dame. <laughs> um, so I'm Irish adjacent, but no, I have no.
0: You're honorary Irish. Yeah, but I, I like
1: it, to speak on the troubles would be very fraudulent. Okay. So, okay, to do so.
0: We can. I can have you speak on the troubles as if you're an Irish person and just edit this conversation. Yeah, I, like. I really hope you don't do that. Okay. But, okay. Well, well, I'll make that decision. By myself. Um, So, but no, okay, but my point about Irish is that the Irish people, when it comes to their music, they are very untrusting of an Irish musician becoming successful. Yep. Um, And part of that is due to, I think Irish people are um, suspicious when people get big from their country because I think there's sort of this expectation for people not to become English. When the one of the biggest bands in the world is from Ireland and they make a blues album that is an homage to America or they make an album called Joshua Tree, which is where the cover is them standing in like an American desert, I think Irish people consciously or subconsciously feel a way about it where it's like, why are you pretending to be American? Why are you pretending to be English? Why can't you just be Irish? And I don't think it's true that U2 is pretending to be not irish i actually think historically they've sort of worn the irish flag pretty proudly whether or not all that's legitimate i think is a big reason why irish people are are not huge fans um so i want to move on to the second point that court funk made by the way court funk if you listen to this can you dm me i want to meet you so bad um their second point is that they're pretentious and this is sort of something i feel like this is if, there, if anybody has one criticism about you 2 it's this. It's Bono, who is this, who is constantly bloviating about all these different charities and different issues. And it does, when I was reading all of this hate about Bono, it does make me uncomfortable how much people hate him for being charitable. I don't know what to make of it except that I think people, when you're that rich and you're that successful, and the clothes you wear are that nice, and the people you hang out with are so influential, I think for some reason people think that being charitable on top of all of that is like pandering. It is, it is, it is an expression of survivor, uh, survivor's guilt rather than actually caring about humanity. When, when I say Bono is pretentious, are there certain like characteristics of him that like immediately jump to mind?
1: Um, so it's interesting because Bono is at once very charitable yeah Um. always one of the first artists that you see like pushing pushing different charity work and uh-huh. he's also what's interesting with Bono is that when you listen when you read quotes about him he's also very self-facing and he'll like acknowledge yes. he'll acknowledge that like he's a ridiculous human being yeah exactly He'll acknowledge, he'll acknowledge that like he's kind of like to like, he's become this big shot, and that like, he's like maybe got an ego, and he's like the first one to admit it, which is which yeah is interesting.
0: And I don't think he gets enough credit for that.
1: It comes back. To, it goes back to like when you're in elementary school, and there was that kid, or I mean, like applying to colleges is better. Oh. Like, when you're, the kid, like, I was gonna like, say
0: who in elementary school was like so pretentious. No, I don't. I don't really have like anyone
1: off the top of my head. But Aj, like, but everyone. Like, you no, know, <laughs> fuck I, you, I Aj. Had, you went to elementary school with Aj. That's I did true. Not. But when everyone's applying for colleges, they're trying to get all their extracurriculars together, and they're like, you're you're listing them out, and you're trying to make yourself look good. And there's that kid that like legitimately like they built like a pathway for disabled people, and they raised money for cancer, and they did. Seven other things, and you're like, "Hey, how did you have the time to do that?" But <laughs> B, it's like, "Wow, you think you're the bomb? You like, you think you're the greatest thing to walk on the earth?" But it's really just our own insecurity right. being projected on. Right. People think it's
0: that like, they're just doing it so they can get into
1: college. Yeah, yes. exactly. And it's like, no, I mean, they're they're a good person, and you just didn't do as much, and you don't <laughs> right. feel as well. So the the way to connect that to you too is that like, I don't think anyone solely hates you too because of their charity work. If you do, I think you're kind of just a bad person. Right. I mean, they've raised 600 million dollars with their work related to malaria treatment and the fight for uh, against tuberculosis and AIDS. So I mean, like objectively
0: that's just good. Right. Like and, and even if you're right that they're doing it for brand awareness, who cares? Like they're still Yeah, they're still I like I like so I, like,
1: like yeah Fair. Like, that's another one where it's like, listen, only they know if they're doing the it. Right. Or not. But I mean, like, um, and I mean, part of it also does play into their lyrics are vague references to God, to love. Right. Peace. Like... It can be proselytizing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think when you when you add in all those factors... It rubs people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but I don't buy like the charity on its own being a source of criticism, right? Um, if you want to talk about their message, like I think the message the, the issue with their message isn't like help Africa. It's just like your song lyrics are kind of empty.
0: Yeah. I, and I think that listening to them, again, it is so uncouth to like talk about their um, humanity efforts in like a negative light but after listening to so much u2 as i have the past week it almost started to feel like a crutch where it was like you you write a song about like help the world be a good person and you because you were having a positive message about love and unity you didn't have to work that hard to make a really good song or like have really deep lyrics and there are plenty of there are they have plenty of songs with a humanitarian aspect to it that are wonderful um i mean my favorite song by them is sunday bloody sunday so that's not to discredit any of their sort of socially conscious songs but after a while it it does as their career went on they i think they felt it was more important to make a point than to make really a really good song which I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I think a lot of people were like, "Can you can you just make a song instead?" Yeah, I I
1: mean, it's interesting because that that tendency to kind of vaguely talk about god and love and peace and all that hasn't benefited the band.
0: Yeah. Um, if anything like
1: that's like a reason that like I have like disliked a lot of their more recent stuff.
0: Right. But it, it is that thing of like now that we're here and saying all this out loud, it's like how are you really going to be this angry at a band because they're trying to like help people? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, <laughs> like saying it out loud is like, man, yeah, no, this is like, ridiculous.
1: Like, here's the bottom line, U2's existence was good for the world. <laughs> like yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, now you I'm, I'm you know, I'm not even gonna measure that statement. u <laughs> existence was good for the world. End
0: of podcast. When people talk about Bono being pretentious, I feel like I remember the the point that people kept coming back to was his sunglasses. I'm so glad you were I figured
1: that's what you were going to bring up and I thought about it in my mind. It yeah.
0: was like the go-to... It was like, what do you hate about Bono? His fucking sunglasses. Why doesn't he take them off? I found out yesterday that he has glaucoma. He has glaucoma. On. That's what I didn't know that.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, it's like... I, so, uh,
0: fuck you a little bit, huh? Well,
1: it's not <laughs> fuck you. It's just like... Because was <laughs> funny. I was reading an article about why people in Ireland don't... Like you two, and then one of the guys like in a pub mentioned that oh I don't like his sunglasses, and then they're like someone next to him's like oh yeah fuck home. and the guy was like oh, it's kind of funny that like people don't know that, and then I know. it's like so you say something, it's like oh wow I kind of came off, and I it's
0: also funny that. that you two doesn't or that Bono, for all the shit that he gets of his sunglasses, has never just dead eyed stared at someone like I have a disease. Well I mean it's kind of like he's like yeah fuck it make fun of my sunglasses.
1: I feel like it's like public enough knowledge, but also like Bono doesn't. No, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care,
0: and that's which is beautiful. It's amazing, and I think that if he carried himself a different way and like wore hoodies and didn't dye his hair and didn't wear sunglasses, I think people. I actually think that people wouldn't give a shit that he was charitable. I think the fact that he presents himself as a god amongst men and also does charity work, I think is incongruous to people and makes him seem fake.
1: But does he present himself that way, or, again, are we projecting how we feel? I,
0: I think he presents himself, and I think he does it knowingly. I think he doesn't have to wear wraparound shades and slick his hair back and wear ridiculous... out Like, he could, be, he could present himself to be as humble as I think that he genuinely is, but I think, I don't know, I think he just likes wearing... I think he likes making a statement with how he presents himself. Also, again, he has glaucoma, and he needs to wear those sunglasses. But he could also wear, like, I don't know, normal sunglasses. But I, I think it's unfair to say that you you can't be charitable and also present yourself like a baller. Like, I, that I don't... There shouldn't be a reason that those are mutually exclusive. Absolutely. Um, but the other thing about Bono is, I think... People think he's pretentious, and people also just think that he's, like, a loon. I—so, okay. I want to take a break and talk about miscellaneous tidbits that I learned about Bono along my yeah, research are. that don't have anything to do with anything except they are utterly important. Yeah. First of all, I just wanted to read this story about an interview that he did after uh, the Super Bowl one year. At 1.30 a.m., exactly five hours after his Super Bowl show, Bono was exercising the rock star's fundamental right to be ridiculous. At a celebratory post-game dinner, Bono throws back some red wine, tells a few stories about Frank Sinatra, leaves a rambling cell phone message for Ashley Judd's husband, gently informing him that his wife has been kidnapped by a rock band, (laughs) and then sneaks off to the bathroom for a cigarette. Bono thinks the rest of you two doesn't know he smokes, but they do. (laughs) (laughs) After 15 minutes, (laughs) After 15 minutes, guitarist The Edge, who adopts a kind, paternalistic role towards his childhood friend and bandmate, glances towards the bathroom and says nervously, Bono's allergic to red wine. (laughs) Sure enough, Bono has passed out on the bathroom floor. (laughs) U2's deputy manager, Sheila Roach, is unconcerned, continues to sip her drink and says, he's probably just taking a nap. He's an excellent napper.
1: I mean, listen, that just sounds like a fun night out. It is
0: so cute to me how the edge is just like nervously like, I think someone should check on Bono because he's allergic to red wine, but didn't say anything to him before he started drinking the red
1: wine. It's funny because Bono is, like, the face of YouTube, 2 but he's not, he's not, he's not the, for lack of a better term, the alpha of U2. Um, <laughs> Adam Clayton, the bassist, who dated Naomi Campbell, is on record as saying, if Bono left the band, you two would stay together. If I left the band, they would not. Ooh, like, he's the guy behind talk it. Talk your shit like, like, I think it's, it's, and I'm gonna compare them to Coldplay again, where Chris Martin is out in front and center and the rest of the bandmates are, like, fine, not getting the glam, not, not getting the shine. Right. It's the same thing with you, it's the same thing with you, too. Bono's just taken the entire spotlight. Yeah. Uh, and, like, that's, like, that, That, for them, comes with the gig of being one of the most popular rock bands in the world.
0: But I also think The Edge is is one of the few guitarists in a band whose name I know. Is it because it's The Edge? Well, probably. Because, I mean, it's a sick Do you think that's the only reason that people know who The Guitarist of U2 is, is because he goes by The Edge? I... I...
1: (laughs) I wonder. I mean, like.
0: Like, do you know an, a name of another Coldplay member besides Chris Martin? I,
1: I do know the Coldplay. You're probably person, the wrong person. Yeah, to the ask. Champion, Johnny Buckland. Okay, and... I, I
0: really regret asking that question. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> um, do you know how Bono and the Edge got their names?
1: Um. I did at one point, but I don't off the top of my head.
0: So, what I read was Bono and the Edge were friends in high school who met because they both joined Lipton Village, which was, quote, a surrealist street gang. What? The fuck is a Surrealist street gang? It I like... I spent literally half an hour googling that phrase to see if anything could come up. What the fuck is a Surrealist street
1: gang? I have no idea. I just I know Ireland in the seventies, man. It just, <laughs> it just it just they did things different. They were just staring at Salvador Street's Dali paintings.
0: <laughs> if anybody listens to this and knows what that means, please DM me because it drives me insane.
1: You know what? When I said that I used to know how they got their names back I the not I lied. Clearly, because I don't remember that. It bothers me
0: so much that I don't know what that means. Um, also, I just want to go on a quick rant that has nothing to do with anything. Do sure. it. As somebody with a s- serious peanut allergy, when I hear bullshit allergies like red wine, it makes me so mad. Because, especially this one, because if you drank too much red wine and then passed out in a bathroom... That's not an allergy. You just drank too much. That's yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it pisses me off so much. You can't pass out from drinking too much red wine and say you have a red wine There allergy.
1: are people that, are like, that will say, like, I'm allergic to beer, and then they just get really sick when they drink beer. But yeah, you're right. Like, especially, like, you're the king of allergies, so... Oh, like, Oh, stop. No, I mean, listen, I'm you credit where credit's
0: due. Um, I'm really good at being allergic to food. <laughs> it, it just, it's so
1: cute to it me. It sounds how like we- you hate you too, based on that anecdote. Which is how a lot of hatred forms, if you think about it. Random <laughs> anecdotes that rub people the wrong way, and then they find justifications after the fact for why they hate their music.
0: If you are listening to this show and you're somebody who walks around saying you're like allergic to corn because sometimes you get a headache... Fuck off! Oh, I don't care if you're Bono. <laughs> you're an asshole. Um... So yeah, I just had to read that story. It's just so cute to me how his team just were kind of like, oh, he's okay. He just <laughs> he just ha- has a had little bit of he's a big, he's an excellent napper. <laughs> it does sound like oh he just needed a big boy. Napper. I feel like but you have like, to be a
1: nap uh, You have to be a excellent napper to be on tour.
0: Oh fuck yeah! yeah. Just you got to gotta be able nap, to get so I'm good at. I'm naps. a
1: terrible napper, so I couldn't be on tour.
0: But I would. There's an argument to be made that if you just passed out in the bathroom, you're a really bad napper. (laughs) If you were a good napper, you probably would have planned that out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, a tasteless napper for sure.
0: Okay, so I do want to talk about Ireland, because I think Ireland... I I do feel like hatred of you 2 is sourced in Ireland and then sort of, like, expanded out. So I wanted to... Okay, so again, I, I spent about six months in Ireland and studied music there. And U2, I took a class called Contemporary Irish Music, and obviously U2 came up quite a bit. Um, and part of, part of people's issue with U2 is, is what I mentioned earlier, which is this idea of if you get too big, all of a sudden you're English. You're like a traitor to... You're a traitor to the Irish cause. And again, as I mentioned... I think U2 has um, pretty consistently uh, stood up for Ireland and stood up for what they believe in. But the other point that I didn't know about them was a big reason that Irish people hate them has to do with taxes.
1: Yep. <laughs> do you know this? So I, I, this isn't like a known narrative, but I'm like doing my own reading. Like,
0: yeah, that's yeah. So the story is, uh, in 2006, U2 moved part of their business to the Netherlands, where the tax rate on royalty earnings for music is much more favorable. Um, When you operate on U2's financial scale, this is a major detail. Ireland was scalded by the 2008 global financial crisis. Communities were eroded by austerity, while the band's reputation as, quote, tax dodgers persisted. Um, Bono is seen as part of that cohort of very wealthy people who avoid paying taxes in this country but enjoys the fruits of being from this country. They bring up a good point that it was during a t- it was 2008 when there was a global financial crisis and you two who have made such a big deal of branding themselves as like a band of the people and a band of the Irish people, Ireland was hit so hard by the crisis and then it comes out that they're diverting their money away from Ireland and into the Netherlands. And I think people... I think Ireland was in a lot of pain for a lot of reasons at that year, and they they found a scapegoat. They found someone to be mad at. And it was Bono. With that
1: said, if you're an Irish citizen, I get why you're pissed. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not gonna tell you you're you wrong. Right. I think as as, uh, as a 25-year-old in America, I, I like I think it would be kind of ridiculous to admonish you too right. for doing that. But if you're Irish, I get it. Yeah. That's kind of bullshit the
0: other point that this article made that is kind of a nice transition to the last thing I want to talk about uh, the person who wrote this article in the Guardian says to some though, and this goes back to our earlier point to some though, there is a hypocrisy to the Samaritan who avoids the tax man, aligns himself with corporations like Apple, which itself is fighting a legal battle against payback paying back taxes in Ireland, which I didn't know. Apparently Apple had beef with Ireland. And dines with George W. Bush and Tony Blair. To others, there's just something about Bono's perceived self-righteousness that rubs them up the wrong way. So it's this idea of like, oh, we give and, and, and we're, we're, you know, giving back to all these people, but also we're avoiding taxes and we're cozying up with big corporations like Apple and big people like George Bush.
1: And, and there are some celebrities that are beloved by all so who try to be friends to all. But the problem is...
0: Some people suck.
1: <laughs> Some people suck, and people have very strong opinions about other celebrities. So when you align yourself right. with politicians, with um, maybe other people that in their own lives have taken stands that people disagree with, that gets projected onto you. Right. Right or wrong.
0: When I Speaking I, of Apple. Speaking of Apple, the when I told people I was going to do an episode on YouTube, the most common response was... Are you going to talk about 2014 when everyone had that fucking album on their phone?
1: This is the number one reason why people are itch-hate U2. 100%. Everything else we've talked about is probably speaking for people that are older for us. Uh For our generation,
0: this is the number one thing. So, for those that don't know, for the boomers that (laughs) that didn't have to deal with this, in 2014, U2 released an album called Songs of Innocence. It is their 13th studio album. It's pretty mediocre um we'll get there <laughs> and uh what happened was you two in order to promote the album decide to team up with apple not the first time they've done that not the first time they've done that and the idea was we are going to release this album for free and have it as a free download for anybody to have on their phone the problem was they didn't give people a choice whether or not they wanted that album on their phone. And so one day, everybody who owned an Apple device woke up one day to see in their library an album called Songs of Innocence by, by the world's hottest, sexiest young band, U2. <laughs> People lost their fucking minds. I, I am not better than anyone. I also was really upset about it. Yeah, I was going to say, Ben,
1: how did you react in the moment? Well, This is sophomore year of college for us.
0: Yeah, feels so much longer Were ago you than an, that. were
1: you a Spotify user or were you a did you use Apple Music products?
0: I used Apple Music
1: products. Okay, so then that this was right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, like for some people it's like this was literally the only thing in their iTunes. Right. I also have been That's you, very a user true. of a iTunes to now Apple Music, so yeah. like I saw this and like immediately like
0: right interacted
1: with it, I guess.
0: People acted like Apple and U2 had assaulted their iPhones that they that they against humanity that they that they that they forced this album into our lives. I will say that I think part of it is that the album cover is um, jarring. It is a black and white photo of a shirtless man being in, having his hips embraced by another shirtless man. There's nothing wrong with the cover, but to one day wake up and open your iPhone and see that is jarring and then to have to look at it every time you open Apple Music.
1: That's really interesting because, like, I never thought of that.
0: I guess what I really want to know is, in retrospect, was the outrage... Did the punishment fit the crime? It did feel like... Again, I was somebody who was also on board of, like, fuck you two, how did you do this? How could you do this to us? How dare you put this on my phone without my my consent? In retrospect, though it does kind of feel like maybe we maybe we freaked out a
1: little bit too much about it. The punishment did not fit the crime. But in terms of how the internet works these days, it never does. So it's being forced upon people which goes against everything this country believes. Uh It's hard to delete. It's not good music. and. I don't know that we were thinking about this at the time, but I was thinking about it after the fact. This is kind of like one of the first privacy issues with technology. In some ways, like this album being downloaded onto our phones without our choice was like the first incident of like these technology companies control our devices in ways that we're not actually comfortable with. You're
0: saying that like. Sub, at least subconsciously, people were like, I don't like the idea that something that I own is being altered by a third-party company somewhere I, in the I distance. I think that's part of the reason
1: why they reacted so strongly. Yeah. Then, I mean, like, social media amplifies it and everyone oh. shits on it right. because it's fun to shit on. Right. I mean, listen, like, it's fun to make fun of things. Correct. And, like, to see memes and, like, just to laugh about it and clown on people. I mean, like, even as a YouTube fan, I was, like, I wasn't defending them. I was like, yeah, that was kind of stupid. Right. I mean, like, for that as a band, it's the type of thing where it's just like you just gotta like move on and take the L. Like they, they eventually said, Hey, our bad. Like right. it wasn't the right call.
0: But I, I will say to me the bigger L was taken not by YouTube, but by Apple, because I look back on this and I I was just like, what is in this for Apple? It just I think part of the backlash was like the thing that was being forced upon us was by a band that like our dads like. Yes, and it just struck me where where I was like, Apple, if you were gonna do this, like, you could have at least done it with like Imagine Dragons or, and people would have been mad. But I think part of it was like, part of part of it was that people looked at their phone and saw this download and was like, who gives a fuck I mean, about YouTube, YouTube still? Was, and,
1: and that was such a Gross misread by Apple. So I
0: have a comment. Like and how did they, they think that we were gonna like?
1: Oh, cool! A yeah. free YouTube. So Apple. I have a comment and a question when it comes to question to you when it comes to that. Uh. So starting with a comment, because it came around a new iPhone. Yeah. Um, it got downloaded to everyone's device, right. whether or not you had the new iPhone. But it was, so for it was part a of new, Apple's rollout yeah, rollout of a new iPhone. So YouTube comes out on stage after it had been leaked that it was leaked that uh, that YouTube was gonna be a part of the reveal. Then U2 and Apple come out and deny it. And then uh, YouTube 2 comes out and plays um, a single called like The Story of Joey Ramone. Yeah. Or the, the Miracle of jo- Joey Right, yeah, yeah, The Miracle a of Joey A song or... that I've never heard played at a party. I've heard the song. Of course not. It's like, okay. It's, yeah. it's like, talks about how the Ramones basically inspired you too. Right. It's a fine It's single. a perfectly fine song. It's fine. Tim Cook, after they play it, comes out and says, Isn't that just the best darn song you've ever heard? <laughs> Imagine, and like, that, like Ben, you think I'm exaggerating, but that's like very close to what the quote is. And then he goes, wouldn't it be great if there was a, a whole album of those songs? Well, guess what's on your iPhone? It's like, that is such like a, you just sound like such an old person. It sounds like, like a South Park parody of yeah, it. yeah, it's just like, what are you, like, Tim Cook, what are you doing? Right. Like, it's been 10 years since you two released a commercially viable album and then you just stick it on all the iPhones. So that's my comment. My question to you is, if that was a Taylor Swift album, uh-huh. like let's say Red, okay. it was a couple years earlier, but let's say Red gets put on everyone's phones. Right. Does it have the same outrage?
0: No, absolutely not.
1: But Apple is trying to go back yeah. to the well because they, they released, the first thing they did with YouTube was release a YouTube, YouTube iPod, which my uncle had, it it Shout out to your it was, uncle. It was a it, it was like a it was like an original iPod. I don't know about this. It was black with a red pinwheel, well a scroll wheel. Okay. It looked it looked pretty cool, and then it gave you a coupon to that was basically you got the U two one eight singles album okay. for free, So it's like which is basically their entire dis- discography, and it came out like and I was like, <laughs> I did not know about yeah. this. So and then it had and it had the band signatures on the back. So that was the first one and then the other one was apple used youtube when they launched itunes YouTube's in one of the original itunes commercials like the ones with right. the bright colors and yeah. the black silhouettes yeah youtube is yeah. Like one of the first ones and you and i and i was reading it in preparation for a podcast youtube partaking in that gave itunes legitimacy because like itunes at that point was a bet it wasn't like a sure yeah. thing and youtube being in that was like one of the first like endorsements of a major band that ultimately led to the success. So on the one hand, I understand why Apple in 2014 goes back to the band that helped them launch iTunes in 2004. Right.
0: Okay, but so when you woke up and saw that, was your did you have the reaction of like, oh, cool, free YouTube album? So Or at that point, were you kind of over it?
1: I thought it was weird, and then I listened to the album, and I'm like...
0: Be- before you answer, I want to say you might be the only person I know who when they opened... Their phone and saw that they then listened to the album. Yeah. The ironic thing about this publicity stunt is it's most hard. people I know refuse to listen to it out of protest.
1: Yeah. Exactly. This We're was just... my first time.
0: Yesterday was my first time listening to that album. It's. Funny. And it had been on my phone for free for years, and I just didn't oh, listen so to it. So you
1: never deleted it.
0: Not, not yet. yet. That's, that's funny. I did. I no. I must have deleted it because oh, okay. on But it was on. My, it was there for me to listen to at all times, and I
1: just refused to that listen. That album to it. is aggressively average. Which, listen, it's fine. Like, it's hard to be... How many bands have been prolific over, like, a 30-year period? Yeah. Like, like that just doesn't happen. And, like, that's kind of the hard thing about people aging in general. Like, you can't capture the magic totally. of what once was. So it's, it's fine. But saying it killed the band is an overreaction. But, like, it certainly greatly stunted interest in anything new they do.
0: That brings me to sort of the last question that I want to ask is... In an ideal world, what does U2 do now? Would you rather Would you rather they kind of just stepped out of the spotlight? Or if they do keep making music, like, is this is Songs of Innocence sort of the best that it gets and they should just keep making Middle of the
1: Road? So I think they should be doing what they've done the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, one of the things we haven't mentioned on this podcast, to U2's credit, is that they're the most successful touring band of all time. Yeah. Um, 100%. And they, the first concert I ever went to was, I, I was really late to going to concerts. My first concert I went to was in 2009. Okay. So I was pretty pretty old for it. And yeah. also, you, it was the 360 tour. Fucking incredible. Where was it? It was at the metal dance. Um, nice. And that's when they had that claw stage. Yeah. It you could kind of, like, Ooh, you, you were two, part of history. Yeah. YouTube <laughs> rocks. I'm um, at a stage where, like like, one of the things I wonder is, like, have I not given the last three albums enough of a chance? And if I actually like put in the time to listen to them over and over again, like could I still could, catch that, could I catch that U two spark, or right. is it just like time times passed by? So anyway, but going back, their their to me, their ideal state is just tour and make money. Yeah. Um. Not that as a fan that like I don't really care about the money they make or don't make. Right. But like I don't think there's a need to make any new music. But
0: well, the last thing that U two did that at all impressed me was when they were on Kendrick Lamar's song. Yeah. Yeah. I so I listened to that song on the way here. I had kind of forgotten about it altogether. First of all, when that when Kendrick released the tracklist for Damn...
1: yeah, and you saw and I saw it featuring Utility. Yeah.
0: Like, oh, fuck. I yeah, I was so confused and at the time I had an Irish intern uh-huh. who was team fuck Bono till I die. The first thing I said to him should have been like work related. The first thing I did say was Kendrick just released a track list and U2's on it. And he literally said, is that literally how you're going to start the day today? By Is by telling me that? He was so like, he immediately just so turned angry. on me. Just so angry. He was like, are you, is that really, you're telling me this at nine in the morning?
1: They also did, they also had Which was on a, their album. It went both ways. They did? Yes. How did I not know that? Yeah, check
0: it. I'll have to listen to that. Um, but I I did find that, I mean, it was literally only like two lines of music. But it was so haunting and poignant. And it also kinda of struck me that Kendrick Lamar Oof, this is gonna get me in trouble. Do it. Kendrick Lamar operates in a similar way that you two operated in their in their prime, at their most beloved. This sort of like very contemporary, very authentic way of flirting with mainstream music while still remaining socially conscious. Mm-hmm. That just like you two, Kendrick has 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 been lampooned for being, like, the quote-unquote woke rapper where, like, every song has to, has to be about, you know, some socially conscious topic. After I got over the initial shock of seeing you 2 on the track list, there was a moment, especially when I heard the song, where I was like, these, these, Bono and Kendrick Lamar do sort of operate on the same wavelength. There is something very sensible about this. And I guess what I'm saying is I would I would love to see a U two and Kendrick Lamar apple. <laughs> so I, if we can put that out there and make that
1: happen, yeah, that would that would be quite a thing. So my question to you is, before prepping for this podcast and after, and now after as right. we kind of wind down, has anything about your impression, interpretation of you two has anything changed? Like did anything surprise you? Like do you do you feel the same exact way you felt about them before you even considered doing a podcast about them? Like like what's your like small journey then?
0: Right. And I think what I what I realized doing research is that my relationship to the music and my relationship to them as people are two incredibly distinct entities. I think subconsciously I always knew that, but doing this research really kind of sh- shed a light on, like, oh wow, these are these are stored in two very different parts of my brain.
1: And it's interesting because I feel like that's how we as consumers interact with 90% of the music we listen to.
0: But, I, and to your point, I was, you know, you mentioned Taylor Swift, and I was thinking, like, for whatever reason, and for better or for worse, the way that she is perceived as a person is inextricable from the way people perceive her music.
1: Yeah. People, because she's one, well, and she's involved so much of her personal life into absolutely. her music.
0: Yeah, that's a for that's, better or worse. Yeah, and that that is a big part of it. I I think I know a lot of people who hate Bono but like U 2s music. I don't think I know anyone who hates Taylor Swift and voluntarily listens to her music. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, because when you look at U 2s music, so Octon Baby" is considered Octon Baby." The band almost broke up. Making. Yeah. They like they very they came to the edge of breaking up as a band <laughs> and very fun. And so sorry. um it's no, <laughs> fine. And what came out was one of their best albums. Yeah. And one of the best albums of I think nineteen ninety or whatever. And it's considered one of their most personal albums.
0: Oh my god! I forgot to I forgot to ask you this question.
1: Yeah, wait on me.
0: Do you know how I know? How I found out that you're a big YouTube fan? Huh. Um, when we were in junior year of high school we took like international relations or something
1: yeah
0: i can't remember the name of the teacher she was the a school teacher oh senior year
1: oh, oh maybe se- senior. Yeah, year. yeah 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 um, it was second semester senior year it was like springtime
0: that explains a lot because i was checked the fuck out uh and we i don't remember what the project pam, was our teacher it was pam. pam shout out pam and we had to i don't remember what the project was but we did a project on U two song one mm-hmm. do you remember this um, and you were so excited to be doing a YouTube project. And I remember, I don't remember what I said. I asked you, I was like, are you sure that those are the lyrics? Or like, I Oh, I was like positive. I questioned a statement that you had made about the song or about the band. And you like turned your head towards me and you said, I'm the biggest YouTube fan ever. I'm right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's okay. So, that's <laughs> like,
1: I, like, I believe that story, but it's just, it's kind of funny like hearing... Because, yeah, like, in high school, it was probably, like, my peak U2 fandom, and I've definitely, like, gone back down the other side of the hill since then. Right. Right. Like, I'm just, like, I will always love U2 because of my 12-year-old self, but, like, so much about the band, like, there's pieces of information that I've forgotten. One's a great song.
0: One's a a great song.
1: I feel like I have a warped sense of what their hits are or not, because, like, I was always listening to their albums. So, like, I never consumed U2 through the public. Hmm. Like, I've... I listened to you two because of my dad and my uncle, and then I already I always thought, sought them out before the public consciousness filtered out what was like good or not good.
0: Right, but that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Like that's I mean ideally that's I, th- I that's how every band would hope to be listened to. Yeah, for sure. Because outside of that vacuum, and I think to your point, once you, if you can do that. Then, then whatever, whatever. If you decide that you two is good, that's like the purest way to reach that conclusion, and like no one can take that away from you.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for talking to you You're off. Thanks for no. That's moment. it's a
0: podcast. That's the whole. Point. Thank you,
1: Thanks for letting me spill my soul. Thank you.
0: you thank you so much for doing this with me. Yeah. Um. To all listening, thank you so much for tuning in to the skip button uh keep on listening for your next least favorite music and if you have any suggestions of what you want to hear what you what artists we should cover how you you would like for us to cover them uh dm me because i'm assuming everyone listening to this is a friend of mine who has me on instagram uh and until then uh thanks again and i will see you next time